Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and buckle your seatbelts. We're going to have a good time today. During this, uh, these weeks that Pastor Stan is out planning for the next year, we decided that we'd each take a week and emphasize one of these environments. I just want to say to you, uh, you know, our goal here at Horizon, and I know our team agrees with this, is not to uh, prepare you to recite um, our mission statement. In other words, you know, the goal isn't for you to go out of here um, be able to share with your friends and neighbors that Horizon is about, let's see, um, the living room and the, the family room and, see, there was another room, um, the di- was it the dining room? Um, oh, you see, I mean, that's, that's not the point. The point isn't for you to be able to say, hey, Horizon Community Church is, is about the living room, the family room, the kitchen, and the neighborhood. And uh, so there you have it. That's what we're about. That would kind of miss the point. It's not about the metaphor. It's about what the metaphor means, right? What they represent. And so hopefully as a church, it just kind of gives us a model to say, look, these are four things that are priority. And if we're all kind of experiencing these four things, then we're, we're living a balanced spiritual life. And so uh, I get the kitchen. So uh, today I'm going to just talk to you about the, the importance or the priority of growing spiritually. Now, I've titled this, Why Bother? Uh, because I found myself as, you know, praying over the last few weeks, what am I going to share? Um, I found myself just asking lots of questions. And I, I think questions that maybe others ask, especially some of the guys, I think, that, you know, reading, um, journaling, uh, you know, maybe we're not real motivated to do those sorts of things. Um, we enjoy coming to church. Um, we're inspired by um, the teaching of the Scriptures. Uh, we learn things. We, we really have a desire to grow, um, but we'll just kind of do that based on what we get out of Sundays, you know. And so today, if that's you, then you're the one I want to help. Um, you know, what would happen if, if I could just ask any of us, um, just not as a test, but as a conversation, what would happen if at Horizon spiritual conversations sounded something like this, uh, where I would say, uh, you know, hey, Roger, what's the Lord saying to you this week? And Roger actually would have a response, you know. Um, you know, hey, Ken, what's the Lord saying to you this week? And if I could just ask that, because I actually cared, and uh, maybe I could benefit from what the Lord is speaking to you. It's not a test. But the thought of, you know, does the thought of someone asking you that question make you kind of break out in hives, you know? Um, or or as, as brothers and sisters in accountability to one another, what if we ask each other questions like, you know, hey, uh, you know, Tom, what does is, what is your spiritual disciplines look like um, the last week or so? You know? Um, and again, it's not a test. It's just, it's just a question for accountability. And, you know, would that make Tom nervous, uh, thinking that I was going to ask that question? Well, the reality is, for the body of Christ, those should just be normal questions. 
um, you know, hey, what's the Lord saying to you? You know, Ricky, what's the Lord saying to you? You don't have to answer right now, okay? But, you know, uh, to have a response, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, my goal is today is to hopefully give you some reasons to be motivated to grow spiritually, um, but also give you a tool that might help you. So, I mean, think about it. Uh, Revelation tells us that we have an adversary who is an accuser of the brethren day and night. Well, if you do the math on that, and uh, we've done this before, so day and night, you know, every day has one of those, you know, every day has a day and every day has a night, so that's twice. So, you know, times 365 days, so that's a minimum of over 700 times that we can know, because the Scripture tells us, that this adversary is going to accuse us. Now, what does that mean? What does that accusation mean? Well, I think primarily it's an accusation of not only us against us, but it is one against the Father. If you remember um, Jesus in the wilderness, he's, he's out there for 40 days, he's, he's fasting and Satan comes along to tempt him. Um, personally, I, I don't think the temptations were, were as much about tempting him personally as they were to discredit the Father and the Father's will in his mind. So, for example, when he said, hey, you see that rock? Turn that rock into bread. What was that about? Well, it was him saying, hey, you're hungry. Where's your father? How come you're so hungry? Is your, is your father left you? I thought he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. You know, take things into your own, take matters into your own hands. You know, so how does the enemy, enemy accuse you and I? Oh, so there's more month than there is money. How, where, has your father left you? How come your bills aren't paid? Uh, where's, your, I, where's your provider? I thought, I thought he said he would always be your provider. You see how the accusation works? It's not so much against us. Satan hates God. Um, I think he hates God a whole lot more than he hates us. But if he's going to get at God, if he really thinks, he, you know, he's kind of delusional. So if he really thinks he's going to hurt God, how's he going to do that except hurt the closest thing to God's heart? And so he tries to hurt God because he's jealous of God. We know that's what got him kicked out, right? So he's jealous of God. He wants to violate God's will and, and, and discredit, disqualify God, in our, the Father, in our minds. And so these accusations come. Well, if this is coming twice a day, gee whiz, what, are we ready for that? And do we have an answer? Are we prepared for an answer? Jesus' answer was, it is written. So is that our answer? Do we know what's written? Jesus knew. Do you know everything that he quoted in the wilderness came from one book of the Bible? from Deuteronomy. I think when he left to go into the wilderness, he took Deuteronomy with him, put the scroll under his arm, uh, because we knew he's a student of the Scriptures. And uh, so, so what was he doing? He was, he was responding to temptation out of his daily devotions. He was responding to, to Satan just out of what he'd been reading, and that was fresh. So are we able to do that, you know, or, or do we do what we would never do, 
with our actual physical food consumption. I'm talking metaphorically about spiritual food consumption. But how many are you going to skip eating tomorrow? Because, you know, today's Sunday, so you can eat after church, you can have a big, you know, maybe family gathering, or you're going to go out, or you're going to have the, uh, the traditional pot roast. And then just take the rest of the week off. You know, I mean, I ate today, why eat tomorrow? You know? Uh, you, you don't do that. So why would we do that spiritually? So that's kind of what the kitchen environment emphasizes is, is eating spiritual food, but feeding yourself throughout the week. So three questions that I'm asking and that we'll go through today are, uh, one, if I'm eating, if I'm not eating spiritual food, excuse me, if I'm not eating spiritual food, what am I feeding on and what is it producing? And uh, guys, you don't have to chase me on this. I'm just going to kind of give a forward summary. So that's one question I'm going to ask. If I'm not eating spiritual food, what am I feeding on and what is it producing? Another question I'm going to ask is, if I'm not hearing from God, what am I getting my direction from? Where am I getting direction from? And then also, uh, if, if I'm not on Christ's mission, what mission am I on? You know, all of us get up every day and we make choices, um, directions that we're going to go, decisions we're going to make, what the path of our life is going to be. Is, is that our own cleverness at work? Is that our own strategizing at work? Or are we actually getting our, our directives from the Father? We'll see in a minute that Jesus said, my food is to do the Father's will. That's my food. So what is our mission? And if our mission isn't Christ's mission, what is our mission? So those are some questions that I, I think that people ask. Those are questions that I've asked in my life. And, and the answers to these things are what keeps me motivated. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. It was He who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. We're going to be looking at that word prepare in just a little bit, to prepare God's people for works of service. As I read this text, would you do something for me? In your Bibles, would you underline or highlight uh, just anything that sounds like it's related to growing, growing personally or helping others grow or growing together? So to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, pausing there to give you a hint, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You probably have about most of that underlined. This is what Christ's mission is. 
You know, there may be pastors and teachers, however, there must also be others willing to grow in Christ in order for His mission to be fulfilled. Jake Colson's book, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, was the title. It became a bestseller and launched a national conversation. He states that David Kenneman released a study from the Barna Group that found that most people believe spiritual growth consists of trying hard to follow the rules in the Bible, which meant that people said, not surprisingly, they don't grow because they lack motivation. I mean, if it's just about the rules and knowing them and, and keeping them, where's the heart in that? Well, hopefully, many of you understand um, that we make spiritual growth a priority because of a relationship. Yes, rules are important, directives and guidelines and boundaries. And However, why do I keep those? Why bother? Well, because I love Him because He first loved me. So it's, it's, it's not so much a responsibility, it's a response. It's a response to Him. He, he loves me, and He knows what's best for me. And so I want to make it my mission, my purpose, to know Him, know what He says, and then as a loving obedient, worshipful response to Him, I'll say, okay, thanks, Lord. I'll do that. Yes, Lord. See, it's a response. We make it out to just be an obligation or a responsibility, and it takes the relationship out of it. So why would you make spiritual growth a priority? Well, because you have a relationship with Christ. Now let's look at these three questions. If I'm not eating spiritual food, what am I feeding on and what is it producing? The longest book in the Bible, Psalm 119, every single verse, over a hundred verses, every single verse incorporates something regarding the Scriptures. You might see the word precepts or laws or, or uh, something like that, the Word of God. You might make it your assignment this week to just read that chapter of the Bible and just be inspired by how valuable King David saw the Scriptures. In Psalm 119, verses 103 to 104, he said this, "'How sweet are your words to my taste! Sweeter than honey to my mouth, I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path.'" Look at the progression there. There's this kind of this cause and effect. First, he says, "'How sweet are your words to my taste!' Sweeter than honey to my mouth, I gain understanding. So, I, sweet are your words, I, I gain understanding as a result, and having gained understanding, I learn to hate the wrong path. How, there's, no, there's no way for us to know uh, or to develop that kind of heart where, where we don't like the wrong path, we like the right path. You know, I can do the wrong thing without even trying. 
It comes natural for me. The Scripture says I'm born of a sinful nature, so it would be my nature to do the wrong thing. If, if it were not true, if I were born of a righteous nature, I wouldn't need Christ. I wouldn't need His atonement, His blood sacrifice for my sin, because after all, I'm born of a righteous nature. If I were born of a righteous nature, it would become natural for me to do the right thing. Now, how many of you, it's natural for you to do the right thing? I mean, you don't even have to try. No. I mean, if we're going to do the right thing, we have to think about it. And, and we've got to be purposeful, and we, we need to discover what the right thing is. And it's best if it's been illuminated to us by revelation of the Holy Spirit as a result of the Scriptures. That would be great. So if I'm not eating good spiritual food, how can I know? How can I, like David, say, therefore, having ate, I hate every wrong path. Psalm 119, verse 7 says, You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. Write down also Psalm 63, verse 5. I'm telling you that because I have some scriptures that I'm going to be sharing. They'll be in front of you, but just because I didn't leave you much space as it begins uh, on your notes. I want you to be able to write down these passages, okay? So I'll tell you occasionally, just write this down. So you should have written down Psalm 119, 57, and then also write down Psalm 63, 5. Would you look at this clip? So 24 hours ago, people were standing in line to eat this. I'm paying good money, you better get to find food. Well, that truck is full of more of the same, and now we're going to go ahead and, and fill this hopper up with it. It'll be a real nice treat. Good Lord, man! <laughs> ah! That is a bad buffet right there. Holy smokes. Have you thought about a sneeze guard? <laughs> There's a nice piece of meat. Look at that. Yeah. What do you see? Corn and lobster legs. Yeah, it's all beautiful to me, you know. Beautiful? He said beautiful? This really is. I mean, beautiful. This is the ultimate buffet. Now you're starting to catch on, aren't you? All you can eat. Next, it was time to fill up a big truck with our buffet soup and get it into the hogs. I think it's getting pretty full. <laughs> okay. Really? Oh, never driven anything quite don't, this dirty. Don't worry about wiping your feet, you're all right. No, no, I'm, I, I got a whole list of things I'm worried about, but my feet aren't one of them. Attaboy, easy You say that's real pretty? All the blend of nutrition there. It's the it. other beige meat. Somehow, I'm thinking this food looked a little better on the strip last night. There's a little something from the hard rock. There you go. Ah, fresh from the Bellagio.
Luke chapter 15, <laughs> verse 16, says, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know the story of the prodigal son. I mean, here was a guy who uh, abandoned his father, walked away. He, he wanted what the world had to offer. And uh, soon he realized that it actually wasn't satisfying, but got to the point where he, he just, he would have settled for this. Um, he, he would have thought, as these guys were saying, man, that'd be great. The reality is we don't have to settle for this. Um, there is good food. The, we'll see in the Scriptures today the richest of fare. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, we read the Apostle Paul describing in contrast worldly wisdom and the things that we would convince ourselves to be satisfying and fulfilling. He, he compares those things to this. Let's, let's read it. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, rules, but that which is through faith in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34, as I mentioned to you earlier, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Secondly, if I'm not hearing from God, where am I getting my direction? Back to Psalm 119, Verse 105, a familiar passage says, Thy word, or your word, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Verses 41 and 42 tell us, May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. According to your promise, that's his, what he said, then I will answer the one who taunts me. You see the progression again? How do I have an answer if I haven't looked them up? If I haven't read them, I don't know what they are. You know, you can be struggling and not even realize it because it's all you've ever known. For example, I, uh, two years ago, um, two springs back, I signed up with a group of students at Wilsonville High School. They were kids that um, were kind of struggling in, in school, and the administration thought that it would be a good idea to get them all together. To qualify for this, you had to be either failing a class or skipping a class or, you know, so it wasn't hard to qualify. Uh, and, and you couldn't be involved in any other extracurricular or team sport at school. And so they got together about 40 kids, 
uh, and thought if we just give them a mission, purpose, something that they can achieve, something they can finish and feel successful about, then maybe that, those disciplines will translate over to the classroom. And it's, it's found to be true. So it's been a very successful program. So they needed mentors, and I needed an excuse to get in shape for hunting season. And uh, so I hit the paper. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a runner. Um, you know, uh, I, I used to say people who run are people who are afraid of the gym. Uh, so they run from it, and they just hit the pavement, you know. It was just, it just, it's just tedious to me. Um, uh, you know, just pounding the pavement. Uh, boring, you know. Well, so it, it, it turned out to be a, a really good thing, except it hurt a lot. And I just, I just accepted the fact, I just figured running hurts, and it's, it's good for you, you know, pain. It's good for you. I see people running in front of me. This one, this one person had a T-shirt that said, pain is just weakness, leaving my body. And here, so I'm, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it, I got a lot of weakness. Well, what was happening, I didn't realize it, but my, my calves were just pumping up like, I mean, you could, you, it's like there was a label here, inflate to 95 pounds, you know, I mean, just, just hard. And then what would happen also is this, this muscle down the outside of your shin that, it, that enables this to work, it would quit working. It would get so tight that uh, I, I just, I would lose the ability to lift my foot, and so I'd just be like flopping along. And it was painful. Having never run, and, and so I did that through that whole season, uh, finished the half marathon that was the goal, and then this spring went out and did again. We're, we're three weeks from the half marathon, and I'm having the same experience again. And, uh, you know, we trained for three months, and so I'm about ready to give up because it was just excruciating. Um, if you've ever lifted weights and, and you go to what's called failure, you know, uh, where your muscles are just so fatigued, that's where you're going to stop. That's how... That's how this felt when I would walk in the house after a run. I just lay on the floor and just hope it goes away. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to go to somebody who might know. So I, I went to this store here in town, and they've got these treadmills, and you walk, you, it's for, for running, and, and uh, so they've got this thing you stand on, and it's this digital pad, and it takes a footprint. Well, I stood on that thing, and they put it up on the computer. I got a heel print and toes, nothing in between. So I'm, I'm like this. My arches are so high. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're into this sort of thing, I'm just, my Achilles was just straight. I don't pronate or whatever the other one's called, you know. I mean, everything is straight. I come off straight and everything. But when I would hit, my, my arches would just collapse clear to the floor. And every time it would, my, my calf would go like that. And then this muscle too. So, so he says, oh, we can fix this. So he puts me in a neutral running shoe and arch supports. So I waited three days to let everything relax, went out. The next Saturday run was going to be six miles, and I, I ran six miles, went home, mowed the lawn. Uh, I, I mean, I, I walked in. I mean, if you ask my family, I walked in, it was like, it's a miracle. I've been healed. <laughs> you know? I was so excited. I couldn't believe. I mean, I just felt like, I just felt like going. I got up the next morning, and I ran, I ran a four-mile loop that, you know, around Wilsonville that was you know, kind of my route, and I thought, man, I, I'm, I'm not so focused on surviving from here down that I can actually work on this, and so I pushed a little harder, and I just felt like I could go, you know? 
ran the 13, the 13 mile, you know, the half marathon, came out, we, you know, we were busy. Audrey was graduating and, and went home, mowed the lawn and, and just went on with life. Like it was just the rest of the day. Where last year I just spent the afternoon in ice. So the point is, is sometimes we're struggling and don't even know it because it's all we've ever done. It's all we've ever known. It's all we've ever experienced. We don't know that we don't have to experience that. But the only way we discover that is to maybe ask around, um, maybe get some information, maybe try something different. How will I know if spiritually I've been living in this status quo and, and there's something much better if I don't do something different than what I'm currently doing? Right? So these, this is why I'm asking these questions. What am I eating? Um, where am I getting direction? I want to give you um, a little help. If I'm not hearing from God, where am I getting my direction? In your seats, there's a, a uh, handout. It looks like this. It's a bookmark. You can take that home with you. You can put it in your Bible. Or if you're using one of the life journals, you can use that. Or if you, just, if you have your own plan. Um, the questions that I'm asking is maybe oftentimes we're not motivated to grow spiritually because we just don't have a plan. So I'm going to give you a plan. Um, you may already have one. That's great. Uh, share it with somebody if it's working for you. But this is just a plan. So here's what I want you to do. So figure out whatever your reading assignment was going to be. And, and there's one in the back of the life journal. So for example, if you're using that, you would go to the back, look up today's date. And if you're just getting started, just pick the shortest reading plan. It, you know, it's 15 minutes of reading. And this is what I want you to do. Read, read the Scriptures and pretend this is like half of half one side of your Bible right there, okay? So there's the other side. So uh, just start reading. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Don't, don't be concerned about what doesn't make sense. Don't fret about that as if, you know, what if I never see that again? Hopefully this won't be the last time you read this page in the Bible. Okay, so maybe next time it'll make more sense. So don't worry about it. Just read, okay? And then as you're reading along, something will probably strike you. Now, this may not happen every day, but wouldn't it be great if, you know, remember the math we did earlier on the seven, you know, 700 times a day we have this accused? What if I could show you a way where you would with confidence know that in any given week there would be at least once, possibly as many three or four times, where you would actually be able to say, God spoke to me, I wrote down what He said, and then I wrote down what I'm going to do that's different now as a loving response to Him, and, and then I'm going to experience those results. And you're able to share with somebody what those results are when, when they might ask, hey, what's the Lord saying to you? Okay? I mean, wouldn't that... Uh, would you like that if, if somebody that might not be experiencing that confidence that I'm hearing from God regularly? I think this might help you, okay? So just read along. When you get to one of those verses uh, that, hey, that makes sense, and you kind of go, hmm, you know, I just want you to underline it, okay? How, maybe it's just a sentence. might be a whole verse. But don't stop there. Just keep reading. Read the whole assignment. If the If the assignment was to read these two chapters or whatever, just keep reading. And then you might come across something else, and it might be a word, it might be a, a, just a, paragraph, a sentence. Underline that one. Keep reading. 
Read through the whole assignment. You might get down to the end, and, and there's one other thing, and maybe it's a whole verse, and you underline the whole verse. Okay, and then go back and take a look at just these three portions and pick one. Okay, just pick the one that you like the best. I'm trusting that because Jesus said, I'm going away, but don't let your hearts be troubled because my spirit will come and be in you and he'll be a comforter and a counselor and a revealer of truth. And because you started out praying saying, God, talk to me, um, uh, you know, Holy Spirit, tutor my heart. Because that's your, your prayer, I'm going to trust that one of these, and most likely the one that you actually zero in on, is a result of the Holy Spirit just directing your thoughts. And this is, this is the one right here that you pick. Just pick one, okay? Once you pick one, take that verse or that line, go to a notepad or your, one of your journaling pages, and this is what I want you to do. Over in the margin, just like in this format, just start with an S up at the top, okay? You, know, you guys can see that good. And then somewhere, just do this first before you write anything. Write down the side of the page. Somewhere right around here, put an O. Somewhere right around there, put an A. And somewhere down here, put a P. Leave yourself room to write your prayer at the bottom. And this would just be a page. Now, for those of you guys who you are like, oh, I don't like to read, I don't like writing, stick with me here, okay? It's just a page. And one of the reasons we don't like writing is because we, don't, we sit down and we just go, I don't know what to write. Well, I'm giving it to you. You're going to write that verse that you picked and just write that right across here like this, at the top of your page. Then, look at what we're going to do next. Under observe, that's what the O is for. As I read the Word of God, I need to ask myself questions like, who is speaking? What is God saying to me through these words? Is there a promise for me to claim? A sin to forsake? A command to obey? Those are all helpful questions, okay? And that's why I gave you this, so that you can put it in your Bible, you can refer back to those kinds of questions. Summarize, having asked those questions, summarize this sentence in your own words, and it's just the observation. What's it saying? Okay? And then look what the next question is. Under application, having observed what God is speaking, I then need to apply what God has said to me. This is where I ask questions like, what does this look like in my life, and what will I do now as an obedient and loving response to God? This is the part where James says, if you do what the Word says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless what you're doing. You know what I'm talking about in James chapter 1? He said, don't be like a man who looks in the mirror, forgets what he saw, you know, walks away, forgets what he saw. Instead, don't just be a hearer of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. The point of that, that analogy is, otherwise, what effect did the mirror have? You know, you, you look in it and you, you don't take care of whatever you saw, the blemish, the booger. The, you know, hey, if we can look at pig slop, we can use the B word, right? So, you, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't fix it. So, what effect did the mirror have? Well, this is, this is the mirror, and in it, I see the reflection of Christ against my reflection, and I see as I read the Scriptures, okay, there, there's something I can do differently here according to the Word. And so, what am I going to do differently? And you just write that out. It's just a, a sentence. This is what I'm going to do different now as a result, as a loving and obedient response to this passage. And then down at the bottom, you're just going to write out a prayer. And this prayer is very simple. It just says, Lord, help me. Lord, help me do that. Holy Spirit, produ you know, produce that in my life. Build that into me. We understand that, that this is a work of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and we want it to be His, His creative work in our lives, changing us into the image of Christ. 
And so, because what does 1 Peter 5 say? That, that, that we can actually experience the, uh, the, His divine nature? We can actually experience His divine nature through His good and precious promises? Okay? So, you're just going to write out that prayer. I think it'll help you because if you do that every day, there may be days where you just, you just go, man, I, I'm not seeing it. That's okay. If you uh, skip a meal or if you, eat a, if you eat a meal you just get, didn't get that much out of, do you just stop eating? No. You, 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 keep, you keep eating because it's good for you. And so, try this. Take this home with you. Use it as a bookmark in your Bible or in your journal and see if it doesn't result in that ability to just say, I, I want to be able to ask anyone, and you should be able to ask me, hey, what's the Lord saying to you, Doug? And not as a test, but as a conversation because we're encouraged by one another's growth, right? Final question, if my mission is not Christ's mission, what is it? You know, we, we all wake up every day and we, we go a certain direction. We make choices. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. Um, the question is, are, is that coming out of our own creativity, of our own cleverness, or is it coming as a directive from the Father? Jesus said, my food is to do my Father's will. So, if my mission is not Christ's mission, what is my mission? I'm on a mission. I'm going somewhere. Do I know? Is it going to be good when I get there? Is it the right place? Well, how can we know if we don't learn these things from God? I'm going to tell you what I believe, obviously. Um, I believe that our mission is Christ's mission. His is ours. In other words, whatever it is, whatever reason it is that Jesus came, that's why we're here. I'm not saying we're Jesus, except we are. In the flesh. God put on flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. So the idea is Jesus came. He died on the cross, paying the price for our sin. He rose from the dead, demonstrating His authority over sin and death, right? So that I know because He raised, I will also. But when He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but my Spirit's going to come and be in you, that tells me that His mission was to multiply Himself by as many as who believe. Why? Because his mission was to see others reconciled to God. We see this demonstrated in Ephesians 4. Let's just look at it one last time. Actually, first, let me just give you some examples of some missional passages. Write down John 14. This one actually is in your notes. John 14, 12 to 13. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Son, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Write down John 15, verse 5. Again, just for your references, it's a familiar passage. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Right? I'm going to move along here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 2 to 6. Would you write that down? But if anyone obeys His Word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know. Look at the progression again. If anyone obeys His Word, this is how we know. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Christ must walk as Jesus did. 
And finally, 1 John 4, 9 to 12, says this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him, that we might live through Him. Could everyone say that with me out loud? That we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. It's not just any kind of love. It's God's love. And and how does that happen if we're not abiding in Him in, in this way? where the Holy Spirit has that opportunity to produce these things in us according to His nature. Now let's look at Ephesians 4 one last time, and I'll leave you with these thoughts um, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Matthew 4, verse 18, we're going to find that word prepare in in two other passages. It's an interesting word. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Why did Jesus come? To make us fishers of men. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. That's that word. That word is katartizo in the Greek. It's the same word in Ephesians chapter 5, and it means mending, preparing, or they were mending nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father followed him. It means to complete, furnishing, perfecting, adjust, prepare, restore. If you were a fisherman in those days, mending nets involved three things. One is it involved removing the debris, right? We're not talking about a fishing pole, we're talking about a net, and so a group of guys worked together And so, you pull in the nets, and they'd be full of debris. And the first thing you do is just get rid of the debris. And then you would notice that maybe some of that debris caused some broken ends, um, some loose ends. And so, they would tie those back together and and mend those. It was, the the mending was not what we would think, just the tying of the loose ends. It incorporated the whole process, these three steps. Remove the debris, tie the loose ends, and then prepare for deployment again. They were big round nets, and if you didn't fold them just so... Then, then when you did this, they didn't do this and, and, and circle out and lay flat on the water. They would just end up in a pile and be a, be a mess. So we found them mending their nets. This is the mission of Christ. This is why Jesus came, to remove the debris from our lives that sin causes. And then to heal our hearts to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free. This is what Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years prior to Jesus' coming. He said this is why He's coming, 
to bind up the brokenhearted and set captives free, and, and then to prepare us for deployment, to be fishers of men, to be a, a useful net. This is our mission. The reason I'm asking these questions is why would I be motivated to grow spiritually? Well, the third reason is so that I can be about Christ's mission because of apart from Him, I can do nothing. I, whatever it is, it won't be His mission. Apart from Him. Isaiah 61, just going back to where I said remove the debris under letter A, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. This is what Isaiah prophesied Jesus' mission would be. And then in John 20, Jesus said it. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. What is our mission? Christ's mission. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you now. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Whoa, back up. Did you hear what Jesus just said to these guys? If you forgive their sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive their sins, they're not forgiven. Was he giving them that kind of authority, that kind of power? Well, keep in mind, Jesus came to present good news. We just read that. And that good news was the forgiveness of sin. I believe that what he was saying is, if you're not sharing that good news, then sins won't be forgiven. If you do share that good news, then sins will be forgiven. Then finally, let's look at this prophecy in Isaiah 61, verses 2 to 3. Actually, beginning with verse, verse 1. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for those prisoners. Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of, instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a, an oak of righteousness, I like that, a solid tree planted, deeply rooted, planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. And then in Ezekiel uh, 34, verse 16, he said, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. This is the mission of Christ. Let's just say that whatever, whatever reason He came, that's why we're here. That's, that's, that's why we're still here. To, to see this mission fulfilled spiritually. Apart from Him, it can't happen. See it fulfilled in our lives individually and in other people's lives as we're a part of His mission. Then finally, to prepare us for deployment, we see it again in Matthew 28. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Why bother with spiritual growth? Why bother being purposeful, intentional, growing in your relationship with Christ? 
Well, so, so that I would not be eating pig slop, I'd be eating the richest of fare, good food from the Scriptures, good spiritual food. And then secondly, so that I would be hearing from God, godly wisdom, not just worldly wisdom. And then finally, so that I would be living a missional life because like I said, we all get up every day and we, we make decisions about where we're going to go and what we're going to do and what our purpose in life is going to be. But is that coming from the Father? Is it Christ's mission? How do we know? Unless we make it a priority to hear, to listen, and to grow spiritually.